Welcome to That Farm Life, planting hope, harvesting strength. That Farm Life is a production of Eagle Farms at Williams Baptist University. On That Farm Life, we talk about that life that is that of a farmer and their family. We talk about the day-to-day grind, the good times, the tough times, and everything in between. Because farming is more than a job, it's a way of life. And we're here to offer opportunities to help you deal with the stress and strains of farm life through faith, family, and community with other farmers. Now here's your host, Stan Norman. Hello, everyone. Welcome to That Farm Life Podcast. My name is Stan Norman, and I'm pleased to serve as host of this ministry. And today I am pleased to welcome Mr. T.J. Whitehead. He currently serves as president and CFO of Care. And TJ, I'm going to read the bio here, and then I want you to speak to it a little bit to help our listeners understand a little bit about what our care is. It is an outpatient primary care system with 75 clinics across Arkansas, Kentucky, and Mississippi. You are headquartered in the small town of Augusta, Arkansas, and you see about 110,000 patients a year. Is that right? That is correct. That is unbelievable. Most of these clinics are in small towns and in rural areas. So just dovetail on that. Tell us about our care and this commitment to small towns and rural areas that seems to be a heart of your mission. Yeah, so um, first of all, really, really pleased to be here, and thank you for the invitation. It's it's a real um, honor to come up here and, and be a part of your podcast. Um, we are grateful to have you. I love the fact that you guys are, are – um, targeting the agriculture community it's uh growing up in augusta and being from from augusta uh growing up on a farm it's it's real special to me that people are are reaching out and and trying to help um families in the agriculture community because i know that that's the in my view that's the backbone of our country absolutely yeah no doubt um you know our care is as you said it's an outpatient primary care system and really, we're, we're your family doctors. We're your um, family medicine practitioners. We do some pediatrics and we do some pharmacy. Um, and we also do behavioral and mental health. And so um, what we say is um, we are chronic disease specialists. Okay. And, you know, a lot of people, a lot of times, think about chronic disease. They think about the the normal ones, you know, diabetes and congestive heart failure and things like that. But man, the the list of chronic diseases these days, in this day and time, I guess I should say, is really long. Um, it includes things like asthma. It includes things like addiction. It includes things, in our view, like mental and emotional health. And um, and we're just we feel like that we can do as good as anybody uh, in treating those types of disease states. Um, when we talk about rule and kind of where we're positioned, I think it really, really goes back to where we started. Um, we had a, a fortunate to have a, a guy who graduated from Augusta, Arkansas, that that went off to college in Texas to Baylor University, and then we'll overlook that. <laughs> um, I say that as a brother and sister, having a brother and sister who are Baylor alums. Oh, really? Yeah, you know, I have to live with it all yeah. the time. 
Yeah. So Dr. Stephen Collier, like I said, he grew up in Augusta, graduated from there. He was a Red Devil, and then he was a, a Baylor Bear. And, um, you know, after school, he he postgraduate wanted to go to medical school, and so he did, and and um, went to uh, did his residency in Pine Bluff, and a county judge there in Woodruff County recruiting him back home to Augusta, and so he was the first doctor of the organization. At that time, believe it or not, um, our company was really a, a mental and behavioral health organization. Uh, North Arkansas Human Service Health and Human Services out of Batesville, actually. Okay, uh, was the was the name of the organization at that time? That was around around nineteen eighty one. Five years or so later, um, the government um, wanted us to to kind of divide the behavioral health services and the physical health services apart. And so at that time, the leadership agreed to split out um, just the medical side. Okay. And uh, so they established a company by the name of White River Rural Health. Um, and it, it applied for like uh, a, um, a federal status of a federally qualified health center. So sometimes you'll hear people throw around acronyms in in in, um, in the healthcare world of um, for hospitals maybe a, you know a CAH which means critical access hospital or you maybe sole community hospital and you use the you use the the terms FQHC is stands for federal federally qualified health center federally qualified health centers are there's a bunch of them across the country uh, but it's our federal designation that basically says hey look. We're here and we're here to serve you and we're going to see you regardless of where you are in life, regardless of your ability to pay and what services we have are, are, are for you and they're here for you. So it's my understanding that you guys have quite a setup in Augusta. Uh, Dr. Bell has shared with me a little bit that in Augusta itself, in the downtown area, there are several health care provision opportunities. Is that correct? Yeah. In, in Augusta, we have, um, I think, three access points okay. uh, for, for um, medical care or behavioral health care. Um, and we do have a pediatric clinic in, in, in Augusta that's a part of our, our education center. That was, a, that was a project that we did in Augusta um, kind of after a community initiative that really led us to really feel strongly about there's a real need for for child care in the area so you have pediatric treatment in augusta georgia augusta georgia i thought i wasn't going to do that augusta arkansas then you have a behavioral health clinic in augusta is that correct it's integrated in with our with our regular medical clinic so you have a medical clinic that offers mental health Mm -hmm. services and a pharmacy and we do have a pharmacy yep we have a a community pharmacy there in augusta we're able to Buy out the the pharmacist that okay. that had been there for decades and decades, and and he was ready to retire, and so we were able to to purchase his pharmacy from him. Uh, we relocated that up near our clinic on Highway sixty four, and and um, one of my favorite things about it is we put a little ice cream parlor in it. There's not hasn't been a place in Augusta oh, to get an old school to get a store um, yeah. to get a milkshake, you know, in the hot summer. For a long time, and so we come up with this idea. Our mascot is called Doc. It's it's basically a cartoon type of character, and so we call our 
our soda shops, Doc's Soda Shops. Nice. So it's it's a neat little thing that nice. we have there in the, in the pharmacy, in the lobby. And all of this was with a view for a rural, small-town community. Is that right? That's right. That's absolutely That's right. impressive. Yeah. That's very impressive. So let's begin to dig down into this. And we've talked a little bit about this, but I'm very interested in knowing, as it pertains to the farming community, what kind of services does our care provide? Say, I'm a farmer, and I'm looking for services with our care. I'm coming to you. What what does what do you offer farmers? Well, we offer um, everything from you know, if farmers want to do pre-employment drug screens, and not a lot of farmers do, but if there's for some reason if they did, we 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 do that. You know, we're there for for their workforce should they need um, you know. Um, Annual wellness visits, preventative visits. Um, if they have symptoms, you know, we to dovetail a little bit. We have a internally, we like to say we have patients that know that they need us, and those are patients that that they have something wrong with them, something's hurting, something's not feeling well. So they come in and they they tell us, "Hey, this is what's going on. I need you," and so we try to help them. But we also have patients that don't know they need us, but we have the information because they're patients of ours that know that they need they need something, right? Say, so, well, what, what's that mean? Well, maybe you're 54 year old male and you never had a colonoscopy or your PSA checked. Well, no, no, what you just said, 54, you're an old male, an older, male. older male. Okay, okay, <laughs> because I'm older than 54 and you, I just was medically diagnosed as being old. What are you laughing at? <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. If, um, but my point is, is, is sometimes we have the information that says, based off best practices, you need to come in. Yeah. And we need to look at you and we need to make sure that you're, you're good. And if you're not, well, then, you know, we need to start getting some, getting our arms around it. So how did you get connected with this? Uh, well, obviously you're from that part yeah. of the world. So there, there may have been some yeah. connection with the folks that live there. Um, I'm a product of the organization, so okay. A, an our care doctor did not deliver me, but I don't know that I've been to another doctor outside of our care ever ever, ever since I've been born. Um, luckily, I've had pretty good health and not have to to um, to experience a lot of medical treatment. However, a, a uh, doctor Collier or another one of our physicians or our mid level practitioners have um, have directed my health care ever since and so growing up growing up there in that community everybody knew knew white river rural health and knew dr collier and that sort of thing you know after i um, graduated high school i went on to harding university and then uh, got my first job in in uh, little rock at a cpa firm and just so happens that the organization at that time was a client of the CPA of the firm I work for BKD at that, at that moment four of us now um and i just had a i just had a um a real desire to move back you know go back home and and my wife um or soon to be wife was was from the area as well and so we just felt like hey um if we could find the uh, the right opportunity. We'd like to go back home and see what we could do to, to be a be a part of the community. I've always felt like that a lot of people had a um, 
had a hand in raising me, whether that be good or bad. Yeah. Um, Dr. Bell may tell you that that, that wasn't that great, but you know, <laughs> I, I beg to differ. Um, <laughs> but, um, and so it's really, it was really always, um, a desire of mine. And I even think in, in my wife's, um, to go back and, and just do what we can to take care of those who, who helped us. Right. Great. That's outstanding. So you referenced your upbringing. I, I want to, I want to try to be an armchair clinician here. Okay. You share with me a little bit before we started the podcast uh, about your own pilgrimage. You grew up on a farm. Your father was a farmer. Obviously, you didn't follow that path, but you were sharing some experiences that you had growing up that I'm inferring, maybe wrongly, but I think I'm right, impacted your approach to what you do now. So what were some of those experiences you remember growing up on a farm? Your father was a farmer and uh, maybe some of the more challenging or trying things that you experienced or you saw your parents go through and how that has impacting what you do for the farming community today. Yeah. So, man, that's a that's a big one. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'll start with, you know, as far as the things that I experienced myself, um is just I got to witness hard work. I mean, firsthand. Yeah. And I participated in it. <laughs> I mean, I remember yep. we had center pivots, and, man, I, I thought that, that was a big deal. You know, people don't even want center pivots any, anymore, it seems like. But I remember when we got center pivots. But the bad thing about center pivots, those irrigation systems, it's, is you got to move them from time to time. You know, and they're a quarter mile to a half mile long, and, and they're, it's fine when you move those and, you know, when soybeans that are three, four foot tall. But when you're trying to move that thing in a, out of a cornfield that's eight foot tall in the hottest days of, of summer, that's some hard work. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, if I begged around on my granddad enough, he might let us take the tractor and use the, the hitch on the back to lift up each tower and to turn the wheel so that we could pull that thing out of the field. But when you do that in the corn, it really tears down a lot of corn. Yeah. But so most of the time we used we used handyman jacks. And so just think about carrying a handyman jack and hip boots a quarter of a mile and stopping every however many feet in between each tower and have to jack up one wheel, turn it, go to the other side, jack up another wheel, turn it. And I mean, I've never to this day, I don't know that I've ever worked that hard. Yeah. I mean, that's some serious, some serious work. And so I experienced hard work. Right. And as hard as that was, I think that um, when you're done, there's a huge uh, feeling of accomplishment. Yeah. You know what I mean? I so, yeah. so I, th- I would say that just understanding what hard work is, participating in it, witnessing it, and then seeing that what hard work can give you right is in the form of confidence or you know a feeling of self-worth that hey i was a part of something that we did a big task today was probably you know some of the things that i i would say i value the most for my time out there what about watching your parents you share a little bit about some of the trials and challenges that particularly unique to farmers that that yeah. Now, now I'm going to come back and say, okay, in a lot of what you saw, in a lot of what you learned, how did you get where you are and why are you doing what you're doing? So yeah. but first talk about what you saw. I saw a lot of sacrifice. 
I tell you, you know, um, not many, not many, um, not many families outside of the ag community understand what it means to sacrifice the way ag, ag families do. Hmm. There were some times I remember in my in my upbringing that I knew my dad was was struggling. As I got older, I, kn- I knew there were there were times where it was really tough. Yeah, I knew that that my dad and my granddad and my uncle were, you know, were strapped because they wanted to to buy a farm. And man, that was a great that was a great thing for our, for our family. But it was a really big risk. They had to mortgage our you know everybody's house. They had to mortgage. I mean, literally everything. But they knew that that they were willing to sacrifice to on, on whatever they needed to in order to make it work. Yeah. And then, in addition to that significantly large sacrifice, I'm sure there were the daily sacrifices and challenges of just farming. You you share with me about the corn story, and your dad in that recliner worried about the corn. Yeah, um, I think every farmer worries about their crops, yeah. you know, and I think they most of the time they're worried about them when they plant them to see if they're going to come up, <laughs> you know. And then after they're after up, up they worry, they'll, they'll, they'll worry about okay, alive. are they going to keep? Are they going to be get enough? Um, you know, have they done the right thing from a fertilizer standpoint and a preparation standpoint? Is it going to yield what they need it to yield? Depending, you know, based off of what they spent on it. And then when you get it to the heart, you know, you get it to harvest, you feel like, hey, well, you know, the hard part's done. Now it's just, you know, getting it, getting the bin, getting in the bin or getting in the granary and collecting the money. But yeah, you're referencing a, you're referencing a story I, I shared earlier about. Um, and I don't remember the year. It, had, it was in the 90s, mid 90s, probably, of where alpha toxin was a big deal in the, in the, in the corn. And I, I think to, to a certain degree, it, it still plays a role, but it's not as big of a deal as it was then because I'd never heard of it at that point. Um, but if if your corn had you know too much of that in it, you know you just couldn't you couldn't get it across the scale anywhere. And I remember my I remember my dad you know worrying about that. Like what what do I do with my crop as I as I harvest it? Um, if I can't sell it, you know. And I remember dumping corn on the ground. And and hoping to go back and get it later if we found some place that you know some place that would take it, and you know having all that money and having all that risk out there and and then and putting all the time and the effort and all that into getting it getting it to harvest and then when you get it to harvest and you're not being able to to get anything for it. I mean that's man. You, you think about giving somebody a, a mentor. Uh, emotional complex that'll that'll do it yeah and I, I remember those days and but i tell you you know the the ag community is they're they're super tough and they're, they're resilient they're resilient and the endurance that they have just the willingness to to get up and go again yeah i mean it is it is some valuable valuable uh, lessons that that we all could draw a lot of encouragement from because it's a group that that time and time again, they just, regardless of what they're facing or regardless of what's on their mind, I mean, they're they get up every morning, they go put those boots on, they and they hit that they hit that dirt. They do, yeah. 
So hard work, sacrifice, stress management. You grew up in a context where those and other things were shaping who you are, shaping your life, shaping the man you would become. And then, as you said a moment ago, you and your wife, or your soon-to-be wife at that time, felt a calling to go back to where you grew up, Augusta, Arkansas, to help that community and help build that community. How do you think who you were growing up is shaping what you do today? How does that influence your ministry and your medical treatment? I think that, you know, just being from a rural small town area gives me a a real appreciation and um, a level of passion for, for people in those circumstances. Mm -hmm. Um, It really does motivate me to try to try to do everything I can from a, from a healthcare perspective and overall well-being perspective at our care to, to provide communities and that be, you know, community, literally communities or populations within communities mm-hmm. like the ag community, everything they need to, to do well. Yeah. And um, behavioral health and our behavioral health division and, and those services are some of the, the most needed that we have. And because you can't necessarily be everything you want to be if your mind's not right. Right. And you can't, you can't handle the things that you that that you need to be able to handle to be successful if you're if you're not healthy, uh, both mentally and emotionally and physically. And so, the thing that I love about our care is that we are we're not real we're not a, a niche company. We do a lot of different things. We we can help just about anyone at least get them on the path to where they need to go to find that wellness. So let's talk about that. And I'm gonna I want to make a statement that I want you to correct it or affirm it. Farmers are some of the least likely to go out and try to find help. Mm-hmm. Is that true or not? I believe it is absolutely true. Is it true because farmer man or woman they are heavily independent? They live a life where they rely upon their own ingenuity, their own cleverness, their own experiences, their own background to get them through the challenges of the day. And yet when it comes to mental health, mental well-being, physical health, physical well-being, that oftentimes they think they can handle it. They think they can manage it. And yet God didn't make us to manage those kinds of things on our own. We, he made us to rely upon each other to get through those things. But is it fair to say farmers are so independent and so self-reliant that thinking about getting help is either not on their radar or they think they can do it on their own? I think it's, it's a couple things. Um, Simply, I think it's some stubbornness, honestly. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, and I say that coming from a you, far, you farming fan. That is T.J. Whitehead <laughs> saying that. <laughs> um, and that's kind of the the more ba- baseline. I, I think that there's, a, you know, sometimes toughness can can lead to stubbornness, yeah. and, and that's kind of where I'm coming where I'm coming from there. And I think that's part. I think that's part of it. But the other thing, and I think this is probably more more the what the reluctancy or what drives the reluctance to get in and get the care you need. And that is that they live a life of always sacrificing. Hmm. So think about that. Like I'm hurting. 
but I just got to push through. I'm not well, but I just got to push through. I got to be here. So what am I sacrificing? I'm sacrificing my own health, my own well-being, because I got to make a crop or yeah. I got to support my my workforce or, I, you know, I got to be here to make decisions. I got to be here to fix, make repairs. I mean, so they they're, it's more about sacrifice, in my opinion, okay. than it is toughness or, and you know, and jokingly uh, stubbornness, you know, Um I think that's what it what it really boils down to. But here's what I, I like to tell. I've told my dad this. You don't go get a combine and you don't get a tractor and not give it the maintenance that it needs. Right. If we go back and tell stories, some of the things that I hated worst about being on the farm was having a every other day grease my dong combine. That was the nastiest, most terrible job of any job that I can think of. It was worse than, you know, moving a pivot out, out of the, out of the, out of the corn. Um, because you would get so, I mean, you had to like almost crawl up into the belly of the thing to get to some of those grease elements to, to get some, get some grease into them. But we did it because we knew that in order for that machine to get us through the day, like we wanted it to and not fall apart or start to break, it need, it needed it. And so I'm like, okay, so you wouldn't buy a tractor and you wouldn't buy a combine without giving them the maintenance it needs, go greasing it, you know, changing the oil in it, putting new elf oil. Why don't you do that with your body? Why don't you do that with your mind? Um, give it the maintenance and the care that it needs to, so that it can get you, get you what you, what you need from it. Hey listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to That Farm Life. You've been listening to the first part of our conversation with the CFO of Our Care, TJ Whitehead. To hear the second part of our conversation, please tune in next week. Thank you. You've been listening to That Farm Life, planting hope, harvesting strength, with your host, Stan Norman. That Farm Life is a creation of AgriHealth Network and is produced by Eagle Farms at Williams Baptist University. AgriHealth Network exists to offer opportunities to help you deal with the stress and strains of farm life through faith, family, and community with other farmers. You can learn more about AgriHealth Network at agrihealth.net and more about Williams at williamsbu.edu. That Farm Life is produced and edited by Mike Dixon. Chris Grady and Brett Cooper serve as executive producers, and Elizabeth Ring is our production assistant. Thanks for listening, and as always, keep farming and keep the faith.